Hey, it's the good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit reminding you that nobody Patreons like we Patreon. So join us at C4FAP and go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and sign up at a level of your choosing. There's various tiers with various goodies for you. Somebody, Something that everyone gets at any level is you get to be a part of our Slack channel community. And you get early and ad-free access to all our episodes. But wait, there's more. So go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and check out all we have to offer. We urge you, sign up today. Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing my awesome friends, John and Matt Ewan, also known as the Ewan Twins. They are writers, actors, and artists, comic book artists. And they're, you know, they're also big fans of Dungeons and Dragons and Mech War. Now, you know, I first interviewed Matt and John back at the Hawaii Geek Craft Expo in 2019. It was for the, now, if you guys want to check out that episode, but I prefer that you guys just listen to this one. This is a better one. But, the, um, but you can refer back to the Comic for Fun and Profit episode 536 that came out on um, October 21st, 2019, and the comic book page podcast, Geek Craft Expo Hawaii, that came out in October 23, um, 2019. That's when the episode was released. You know, um, we've been keeping in touch with each other off and on for the last few years. Um, for this interview, you know, I just want to catch up with them to see, you know, what they've been up to and also to introduce new listeners to their work. John and Matt, how are you guys doing today? We're doing great. <laughs> thank you for having us here. No, yeah, thank you very much. And, and I want to thank you guys. Thank you guys for your friendship, you know, over the past, you know, two or three years. Thank you very much. No, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, you, 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 when we first met, uh, you were so enthusiastic about comics and everything in general. It was, you're, you're one of those people that you meet and you're like, damn, I, I, I got to keep in touch with this person. Because yeah. he is just so, so much fun. And yeah, I mean, we're separated by the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> but, um, but online is great. You know, like, um, Twitter can be such a cesspool of, like, horrible people. Yeah. Um, but whenever we see your stuff on there, it's like, oh, thank goodness. You know, timeline <laughs> refresh. This is great. Um, and so it's, it's always nice to, to, to know people who are always so positive and, funny and enthusiastic yeah no but thank you guys thank you very much um i still remember when you guys got back on twitter i i think I, one of the first pictures i sent you guys was the you guys call it shumai we call it um pork hash down here in hawaii okay it was uh, from 7-eleven uh, because <laughs> I, I i can't remember I, john i think it was you that said you know after the interview he's like yes you guys have a seven hundred hats on that sells Shumai, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, that was like insane. Like we went to Seven Eleven, they had like dim sum, and we're like, "Oh, this is awesome!" And Hawaii it's, is like great. Seven Eleven here, they have donuts and cookies and weird stuff. Yeah, yeah they, in, in the Seven Elevens in Hawaii have donuts, and cookies, and weird stuff too. But they also have dim sum. It's like, oh my god, this is like. Amazing. It's like this gourmet 7-Eleven. You're like, wow, like why everything is just better class here. <laughs> no, but and then the other thing too, for our listeners, um, 
for our listeners, if you guys come to 7-Eleven, you check out the, um, you know, like the dim sum and stuff like that. It's very good. It's not some, it's not, it's not cheaply meat. It's very tasty. It is. Uh, we were very, I mean, like, you know, cause it's, it's easy to consider 7-Eleven like this den of like just really cheap crap. Yeah. And that dim sum was great. I mean, like I, you know, whether it's cheap or not, it doesn't matter. It's high quality. It, it yeah. tastes really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, because because we've had uh, some dim sum in L.A. Mm-hmm. that was like, okay, I'm paying like, you know, five bucks a dish. And this is kind of bland. This is kind yeah, of like not this is gnarly, you know. I get better from the frozen section. You yeah. Know? I'm just like really disappointed. But, but then, you know, that 7-Eleven stuff, we were like, we must have looked like such friggin' tourists because we like just like, okay, okay, I'll take it all. And they're like, <laughs> what are you so excited about? And we're like, shut up, give it to me. But again, thank you guys. And listeners, you guys are in a treat for this episode. We are going to have so much fun. Um, um, you know, yeah, we're just going to have so much fun in this episode. So now before I start the interview, I just want to go over, you know, John and Matt's history, incredible history. You know, this is awesome. So now their history. So their first um, movie is called Death Valley, the Revenge of Bloody Bill that came out in 20, um, in 2004. They were writers and they were also, they played zombies in that movie. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, it was. Oh, my God. It was 2004, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> wow. Yikes. That's, that's got me feeling old. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we had PA. We were production assistants for The Asylum, mm-hmm. uh, which if for those of you listeners out there who don't know, The Asylum is the same studio that turned, turned out Sharknado and all those movies. Um, we were PAs on, with them uh, for two, two movies. movies? Uh, Scarecrow Slayer and I forgot what, what the was other the one. one. Scarecrow Slayer is the one I remember. Okay. Anyway, uh, uh, David Latt was the producer on that. And uh, we both knew Stuart Gordon. Uh, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Stuart was great. Um, but Stuart told... David, hey, you know, John and Matt came out to be writers. And so when we, when Stuart set us up with the PA job through David, you know, we're, we're essentially brand new to LA. We didn't realize that as PAs, you're supposed to be ducking work. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so we're like, you know, just busting our asses, doing all the stuff. And David thinks that we're like real go-getters, which I mean, I guess Maybe we are. We were young yeah. enough at that point to be enthusiastic about things. <laughs> so we we made a good enough impression, and he sits us down and he says, "So Stuart tells me that you two want to be writers," and we're like, "Yeah, yeah, we've got a couple of scripts." And he's like, "Okay, well, this is your Hollywood opportunity. Tell me, what have you got?" And we're like, "Well, we have a comedy." He's like, "I can't use comedies," and we're like, "Okay, uh, we've got a drama." He's like, "Can't use it." And at this point, now we're like, okay, let's just cut to the chase. What can you use? And he's like, well, I'm in the market for a Western or a horror movie. And as luck would have it, 
uh, I had just a few days prior had a nightmare about zombie cowboys. And so just right off the top of our heads, we lie to them and say, oh, we've got this great script. You're going to love it. It's about zombie cowboys in India. It's amazing. You know, it's like, and we just describe the nightmare as a script. And he gets this look in his face like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. And he said, and he's like, he gets really serious. He's like, so have you shown this to anyone? We're like, oh. and we're like, oh boy. And thinking inside, well, no, because it doesn't exist. <laughs> and so we're like, no, no, no. And he's like, well, well, send it my way. And we we're like, well, it's a first draft. Um, you know, it's a, give us a few, give us a week to polish it. And he's like, okay, you got a week. Yeah. And now at the time, I'd been working for uh, Buna Murray. They were the company that uh, at the time they were doing like road rules and stuff like that for MTV. Oh, yeah. So I've got to work. I've got no time to write. Yeah. And so, so uh, it's up to John to write the first draft. In six days. In six days. Because then I get the weekend to polish it. <laughs> we turn it in. And I stayed up for three days straight writing it. Oh, God. Um, yeah. He got, the, he got the first draft done in 72 hours. Yeah. I come home. Well, I would leave in the morning and he's writing. I would come home. He's still writing. I'm like, geez, man. Like I've been gone for 10 hours. Have you moved? And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm on the second act. I'm good. I'd go to bed. I'd wake up. He's in the same clothes. He's still at the computer. He's still writing. And I'm like, Oh wow. You better like not fall over. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and this happened for like three days straight. And finally I came home one day and he is just blacked out. But as soon as I come through the door, he's like, oh, dude, check it out. We've got the first draft. We're like, it's been three days. That is the fastest we've ever written anything yeah. in our lives. And I slept for 18 hours. Yeah, he was, he was <laughs> out for like yeah. the next day. But um, we turned it in and David Latt was like, this is great, but we can't afford the, the period piece stuff. So now we have to change it all to modern day stuff. And so John... <laughs> I had I had to spend another week getting it all taken care of, like modernizing it. So it was it was astounding. That was like the worst two weeks that John has <laughs> ever had to endure. Um, but but it was it was an education. Um, yeah yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people will you know turn their noses up at smaller productions, uh -huh. smaller studios, and it's like, look, you, if you are going to be a PA you know, or, or anything, do your job, do it well. Someone's paying you to do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and also you learn more on a, on a low budget, small set mm -hmm. than you do on a big one because we've worked from everything from asylum to Warner brothers mm -hmm. and with Warner brothers, don't get, don't get us wrong. That was a great set. Amazing. Yeah. set. Ama beautiful people, lovely, lovely cast and crew. Everyone was so nice but everyone had a singular job mm -hmm. on the asylum. Everyone did everything. Yeah, you, you have, you have to, yeah. and you're working very long days. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you know, a lot of people can sit there and say, well, it's abusive to, you know, have be working 16 hours a day. And to a certain, it is, I'm not, it I'm is. not yeah. saying that it's not, but it is what you make of it. Mm -hmm. If all you take away from these 16-hour low-budget days is abuse, that's all you're going to take away from it. Yeah. We learned 
so much of how to get stuff done mm -hmm. with no money, mm -hmm. no crew, no nothing mm -hmm. that it's valuable in its own way. Yeah. You know, you, you can certainly, I mean, and if it weren't for, I mean, because the, the folks at the asylum, David Latt, uh, David Romali, um, very, very nice people. Um, and there are certainly those productions where people are abusive and horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have lucked out and never been a part of any of that. Um, and so, but yeah, if you, if you can get yourself onto one of those good small sets, mm -hmm. um, we, we highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because when you, because I, when you guys start talking about, you know, to work at a small company, the first thing that came to mind was, um, Corman Films. Ron Hart got his break yep. there. Mm -hmm. The the you know um, the screenwriter John Sales. The you know he, said, yeah yeah right because he was the one that he you know he was the one that really started to bring independent film back in the seventies, really front and center. And he also worked on um, Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> you know I mean it's a it, we talk but it's. I because I watched the movie like I think like last year and it's the script the story still holds up. I mean it's a rip off of you know sure, Evan sure. Sunrise, but it, but the dialogue and everything because I was I was expecting that dialogue to be corny and but it held up. And then yeah, yeah. there is a certain artistic honesty mm -hmm. to low budgets mm -hmm. because uh, you know I, I think that there is a lot of creativity to be had in limitations. Mm -hmm. um, you know that's why so many of the classic movies are classics because they had to operate under very tight social constraints, which is no nudity, no swearing, no mm -hmm. violence, you know, and, you know, no blood, no gore. Mm -hmm. And so you have, you know, like like Psycho. Is anyone ever going to do outdo Psycho? Mm -hmm. I would argue not until Silence of the Lambs came along. Yeah. Um, in terms of like just sheer, you know, psychological drama there. Um, and it's because you have those limits, you know, yeah. whether it's budgetary or social or whatever, you know, you, you find a way to, and, and I think that's why in this modern era of no limits, uh, things have gotten a little tame, you know, <laughs> ironically enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have, you know, you know, movies showing everything and yeah. comics showing everything and yeah. books showing everything. It's like, well, then if there are no limits, then how can you rebel? How can you be, you know, how can you be, oh. you know, subversive if every, everything is fair game, you know? So, um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's awesome that, you know, you, when you, limitations are oftentimes they should be embraced. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do you want to add anything to what John said? Uh, no, um, I was just, uh, I mean, I, I agree that, you know, if there's no limit, there, there can't be an edginess to, to anything. That's true. Um, there was an article we read a while ago about uh, Iranian filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And because of the, uh, essentially the morality police that yeah. they, they have in that country, the filmmakers were forced to be very, very creative when approaching subjects like homosexuality or mm -hmm. or even sexuality or even <laughs> sexuality yeah. Yeah. um and so it, it was uh it was amazing um and, and i think john's absolutely right that limits to a certain extent 
you know, can be used very creatively. Mm -hmm. All right. So, sorry. So, thank you very much for that answer, listeners. I'm, and I'm going to still continue on your witch guys' history. Um, okay. So, okay. So, and also, you guys have appeared, you guys also, I'm going to just say, co starred. I don't care what people say. You guys co starred um, in the movie Observe and Report that came out in um, 2009, and we'll, I'll touch upon that a little bit later. Okay. <laughs> um, and then you guys um, also were in, now correct me if I'm wrong, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this one right, Larry Gay, Renegade, Male Flight Attendant that came out yeah, in yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now you guys have been also on TV shows, Rules of Engagement, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, um, Arrested Development, Raising Hope, to tell the truth, I want to ask you guys about that one. So, how did well, what episode of To Tell the Truth were you guys? You know, or what was your thing? Um, so, on To Tell the Truth, that that was a actually the broader story on that is really amazing. So, To Tell the Truth, we were at the time uh, doing a David Cho art show, and um, it was also before, it was like, I think we filmed on a Thursday? Yeah. Thursday. And, and, and the David Show art show was, I think, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that filmed, I think, on a Thursday. And we showed up at like 7 or 8 in the morning. Okay. Filmed until 3. The Cho show started at Six. Six or seven. Oh, God. We got there, participated in his art show until two in the morning, and then drove down to San Diego for San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday because <sighs> there was a... So, no, no. So, we filmed it on a Friday. We filmed it on a Friday. That's right. Filmed it on a Friday. Oh, went to the show show on Friday. Drove down Saturday morning at two in the morning to San Diego because... We had to meet one of our favorite Marvel editors and uh, writers, and writers, uh, Annie Nascenti, uh, at San Diego that morning because she was only signing that morning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we were up for about thirty-six hours. It was hilarious. Um, but anyway, it's like so. So that was like a monster, like great day. Uh, but uh, our our episode of To Tell the Truth was. Twins who work at NASA, and we, which was which was really niche. Um, our yeah. manager calls us up and is like, "Do you guys know anything about NASA?" Because and we're like, "Yeah, our friend yeah. lives in Houston. That's about it." Yeah, uh, and she was like, "Because they want you to do this, where you have to lie to a panel of judges," mm -hmm. and we're like, "Okay, yeah, we can do that." Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, our friend had taken the NASA tour and he's like a, a super space nerd, which is great for us. And, and so, so he helped us out. He helped us out. And, and, and honestly, like, to, like, so they asked us all sorts of questions, like, and I'm kind of upset they didn't ask harder questions because what? we had mapped out the entire way, like our way to work, <laughs> what time we went because the rush, rush hour is a little bit less, brutal during these hours like oh. we knew which route to take from our because all we did was instead of saying our friend it mm -hmm. was us 
we live in Kingwood. We go to NASA. So forth and so on. And, um, and they, 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 he, one of the contestants tripped us up with, what's the speed of sound? Oh. And I... You told him we don't work in, yeah, in, in, I, in miles per hour. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just, like we, we deal in mock. And it's like, it's, but it sounded like really dismissive and like shitty and, you know, but something that a super <laughs> nerd NASA dude would say. <laughs> so fool yeah. them. Um, it, it was great. We fooled almost everyone. Um, Except for one, think, one guy. I think one guy, because he was like, you guys are too obvious a choice. You're out of shape. You got glasses. Um, and you're just dicks. So <laughs> you're too <laughs> obvious. <laughs> we're like, damn. And it, it, it turned out to be, because uh, the, the other two sets of twins were, I think one pair were Hispanic. Yeah, they, they and, were. And the other pair were, were Asian, and they were both female. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one got the real ones. No. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was hilarious, because they actually had all their answers down. <laughs> Just like, yeah, no, we, we test how stuff burns in a vacuum. <laughs> it's like, dude, that rocks. <laughs> so, Matt, so who, who, was the, who was the real, who was the real, people that worked at NASA out of the, out of the three groups, the uh, three sets of twins? The, the three sets of twins, there was uh, one set of twins. Uh, the Hispanic uh, women were the real set. The Asian oh, okay. uh, females were, uh, I think they're just actors. I think actors and musicians. Yeah. Yeah. And we, um, they told us, don't, don't say actors. Everyone's an actor. What do you do that's not acting? And so we got to say, well, we do make comic books. <laughs> <laughs> and at first they're kind of like, really? We're like, no, 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 we're being serious. We do make comic books. <laughs> we, we can bring them in and show you. We know we already got the audition, so we're not lying to you right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they were materials engineers for, wow. uh, for NASA. Oh, yeah. it, was, it, it just it was so fascinating to hear them talk. Mm-hmm. It's like just their brief answers. It's like, oh, yeah, no, we, we test how things burn in this sort of environment, that sort of environment. If this is safe, that is safe. And it's like, damn, they pay you to burn stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm sorry. So I'm going to continue on, guys. Um, And I'm going to – you guys were on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the seventh episode titled The Totally Excellent Adventures of Matt and the D." You guys were the Chang gang in that episode. I'm going to hold questions off later into the episode, um, in, in the interview, because I want to ask you guys <laughs> a little more specific yeah. about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, also, too, you guys are comic book, of course, as you get, uh, you know, Matt, as you mentioned, you guys are, you know, and I've mentioned, you guys are comic book creators. Um, you guys have, cre- your very first comic you guys created was Declan and Chang. Um, and you guys have for, and you guys um, for first comics publishing, you guys have created Serving Soups, Love Town, and Inspector O. Mm-hmm. Now, did I miss anything? No, no, no. you got them all. Okay. That is correct. All right. So, all right. So, Matt, I'm going to start. Where can listeners follow you guys on social media? Okay, we uh, on Instagram. We are. I think just you and, and twins. Yeah, just you and twins. Okay. On Twitter, we are the you and twins, mm-hmm. as if there are any others. 
And then Facebook, we are you and twins. Okay. So Facebook and Instagram is you and twins, twins and mm-hmm. Twitter is the you and twins. Okay. And then, and but I they, they have turned us down for authentication every time. So it, just, just look for the picture of us. Yeah. There's, Except for Facebook, it's a picture of Vernon Wells from Commando, but instead of holding a gun, he's holding a microphone. Man photoshopped the <laughs> microphone, and it makes it look like he's singing. Um, so, yeah. We had so many people saying, man, I love that picture of Freddie Mercury. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you very much, because when I first saw Commando, and, you know, when Bennett holding up, uh, yeah, you know, when he's like, because I kept going, why does Vernon Wells, he looks familiar. Who does he remind you of? And then, oh my God, that's right, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> Just sort of, yeah, sort of a, a buff Freddie Mercury. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, we met him too. He, he's, yeah. he's a great guy. He's, I think he thinks I'm slightly insane, um, but I couldn't help myself. Uh, we met him. Uh, once again, Stuart Gordon introduced us because uh, Vernon Wells was in Kingdom of the Ants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Stuart had produced. Can't remember if he directed that one. He directed. In, that I one. think he directed and produced that one. Oh. Uh, but he's like, yeah, you want to come to the premiere? I hear you're big fans of Vernon's. And we're like, oh my god, yes. We went there and we're like, we're not gonna, we're gonna be cool. We're gonna, we're gonna be, we're not gonna geek out. We're not gonna geek out. And the first thing I say was like, dude, you're fucking command. You're you're bending out of commando. Jesus Christ, it's fucking great. And I think he thought maybe I was. A little touched in the head, uh, <laughs> like oh, <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> but uh, but if we could take a moment uh, here, um, so uh, your listeners might notice that we've been talking a lot about uh, Stuart Gordon, yeah. and just some background: we met Stuart Gordon way back in like '99 wow. um, while working for the Austin. Uh, Heart of Film Festival and Screenwriters Conference. Okay. And he was such a genuinely kind man. Yes. You know, we'd been fans of his movies forever. Like, our mom took us to see Reanimator, you know? <laughs> and, you know, his movies just blew our minds. And so when we were in a position to invite people to the festival to speak, we immediately put his name out there, and we finally meet him, and he's just such a great guy. And he's like, thank you so much for inviting me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to talking and again, you know, he's one of those people that if you told him, oh, I want to be a filmmaker, I want to write, I want to act, his immediate impulse was to basically ask, how can I help you, yeah. you know? And we told him, we want to be writers. And his first thing was, you got to come out to LA. It, it helps so much to be able to see these people face to face and pitch your ideas to people. With you know, not over the telephone, uh-huh. um, and if you ever come out to LA, just you know, look me up. Yeah. And he was as good as his word. You know, yeah. we we looked him up, and he was like, "I don't have much, but I can uh, get you in touch with uh, David Latt. You know, he's always looking for people to to work on sets. And because when we decided to move out to LA, we said we're going to give ourselves a one year limit. We'll give ourselves twelve months to sell a screenplay. And then we're going back home and becoming, you know, teachers or something like that. Mm-hmm. And because of uh, his introduction to David, yeah, we sold something in eleven months. Yeah, so so, so it's uh, Stuart Gordon's fault completely yeah. that we <laughs> that we have 
our careers, you know? Yeah. Him and Rita Shaw, they, they both helped us a ton. That's really nice. You know, that's really nice. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry that, you know, I know Stuart passed away, correct me, I think, was it? Yeah. Was it 20, was it 2020? I think it's 2020. 2020, yeah. Yeah, I'm, because I saw that on Twitter and sorry about that. Yeah, yeah uh, he was just the greatest. He, yeah. he really was. Um, anyone who had the pleasure of knowing him uh, is truly, Truly blessed to yeah. have uh, had him in their lives. Oh, but thank you very much. Thank you. You know, just thank you for, yeah, just thank you for sharing that, you know, about Stuart. Our Wall. pleasure. Oh, yeah. So, um, sorry, guys, I'm going to continue on. Okay. okay. So, um, John, I'm going to start off with you. Where did you guys grow up? Uh, we grew up in Dallas, Texas. We were born in Dallas. Um, went to school, uh, of course, went to, you know, school there, um, and then for college, went to UT Austin, mm -hmm. uh, stayed there for 10 years, mm -hmm. no, not college, <laughs> we stayed <laughs> in Austin for 10 years, um, we, uh, when, uh, when we were in Austin, we worked at the, um, we worked at a comic book store named Funny Papers. I believe it's since closed down. Uh, we worked at the uh, Heart of Film Screenwriting Competition and Austin Film Festival. Uh, not to be confused with South by Southwest, although we did volunteer there mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years. And then worked at a movie theater, uh, the Arbor 7, in, uh, at the Arboretum in North Austin. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to ask an off-the-cuff question, and I'm going to start off with Matt. Um, um, what, were your, what were your guys' majors in college? Um, John's major started out as history, but then he found out that the government program offered better history classes, so he switched his major. Um, mine was psychology, mm -hmm. and I, at the time... I had planned on going into computer science and mm -hmm. then found out that my brain was not wired for math. <laughs> so psychology uh, was mm -hmm. what I, I wound up in. Mm -hmm. Don't worry guys, because you know, my brain is not wired for science because when I went <laughs> to college, it was how fast can I get out of college? You know, with a degree, with a bachelor's. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to go into drama. Then I saw I needed 41 credits to graduate. I says, no, I'm not going to stay that long. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think after you know, after you take the core classes like math and whatever and whatever, it was like what what sociology, twenty-four credits. Yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um for me, psychology was um you know, it, it's a, it, it's kind of a, a joke that psychology is that degree that people take because well, why wouldn't you? It's just it's just so so easy. Uh -huh. Um but for me, I, I lucked into uh, Professor Singh's class, his introductory psychology. He's a very, very brilliant teacher and very passionate about teaching. And he deliberately chose to teach introductory psychology classes because he was like, I have tenure. I can do whatever I want. I could just research and do nothing. But this is where 
everyone is introduced to the course, to the, the field, the field. And, you know, he, his, uh, his passion for it was very infectious. And now we use it in our writing and mm-hmm. yes. it's, it's, it's terrific. So it, it was thankfully not a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, no, yes. Yeah. Because it's, no, but I understand because yes, yeah, like you know, um, you know, you guys, it's whatever we learn from college, we still use it throughout today. Sure, know? sure, yeah. And then, uh, an off the cuff question, John, mm-hmm. because you you went into history, so can I just ask why why did you pick history or govern or you know whatever in the oh government um, government so yeah. history, history um, the history classes are actually really dry and boring. Mm-hmm. Um, government tended to like so history what tended to be dates and events the government classes tended to explore the whys and hows and i found that fascinating like Mm -hmm. um professor coffin was my french government teacher Mm -hmm. or professor i should say professor and um, i mean like you know who, who, who the hell knows about the fifth republic well i do now yeah, and it's amazing, you know, um, you know how you know how the Fifth Republic respond from the Fourth Republic's inability to bring the you know war in Algeria to an end, you know, to to, to a satisfactory end, and so you know, uh, it, but you know that that the you know the various policy de- decisions, you know, the internal politics within this party and that party, and like you know the economy and stuff like that. It, it was, it was so great as opposed to just saying, uh, yeah, December 7th, 1941, that's Pearl Harbor. It's like, yeah. okay, but what led up to that? How, how did it occur? You know, yeah. why was the U.S. response as such? Why did Japan do this? Why did, you know, all, all that stuff. And so the government courses tend to be a lot more in-depth. And I, uh, Professor uh, Coffin was great. Professor Trubowitz was amazing. And um, it, it was, it was a lot more, encompassing mm-hmm. uh yeah. for my tastes so wow. yeah that's why okay. uh and then um and i'm gonna you know like you know like matt said that you know um you know his psycho his psychology helped it, they mm-hmm. use so the government the history the whys and how so you guys are able to combine into your guys writing is that can i a, a, a lot of times yes definitely um okay Matt's, Matt's working on a, a series right now, not really ready to announce much, but um, it does involve a lot of research in history. So um, we, I, I did take a lot of psychology classes, you know, with, you know, along with, at the same time, not with Matt, but uh-huh. during my college career. So um, Matt and I both tend to incorporate a lot of that into mm-hmm. our, our work. Yeah. Um, I guess not so much serving soups. That's just, our lifelong love affair with like sitcoms. <laughs> uh, definitely Love Town uh, to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Yes. I would say actually also even in Specker O. Yes. Um, and uh, but yeah, like uh, it, it helps because that way you know, you know, in terms of like just figuring out, you know, psycho, you know, from a psych from a psychology standpoint, it's not oh let's let's play tricks on people. It's more along the lines of what's really going to grab people's attention, you know, what, what keeps, what keeps a thing, you know, a story going and stuff yeah. like that. Okay. All right. Well, but thank you. So 
I'm going to continue on with the interview. Matt, I'm going to ask you this first. Um, do you remember what was your first comic or Sunday comics that you read? Um, probably the first comic that I can remember is going to be Daredevil. Um, mm-hmm. Gladiator yeah. was in it. Yeah. Um, Sunday comics, it, it was, you know, like Blondie and Garfield. Blondie and Gar- oh, yeah. yeah, Marmaduke, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Never got into Heathcliff. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> uh, uh, our paper didn't carry Calvin and Hobbes, so we, we got, missed out. We got Doonesbury, though. Yeah, Doonesbury, The Far Side. Um, the Far Side was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, there was a... Oh, uh, the Fusco Brothers. The Fusco oh, Brothers was awesome. <laughs> uh, J.C. Duffy. Yeah. Um, he draws for the New Yorker now. Yeah, he draws for the New Yorker. But the thing that we love about the Fusco Brothers, um, and apparently uh, so did Seth Green, because um, one of the characters in the Fusco Brothers was a, was a dog, white dog, who had this really dry sense of humor mm-hmm. and he refused to acknowledge that he was a dog. He sa- he always said he was a Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I forgot the dog's name. Axel. Axel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Axel was great. And, but, and then of course, family guy has a white dog with a very dry wit and acts like a person. Um, but there was one great Sunday strip of the Fusco brothers. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, which, which one was he talking to? I think he was talking to Lars. Lars. Um, but he was talking to one of the Fusco brothers. He's like, oh, they're in the supermarket or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, should we go down this aisle to see if we need anything? And it's this, uh, it's like aisle six and like um, listed amongst the things. It's like, you know, uh, office supplies. Da, 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 da. Office suck, uh, pet prods, and... Like BBQ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so Axel... It's like, well, seeing as how I am neither a pet and not in, since seeing as how I'm not a pet and not in need of pet products, I can only assume that because your eyesight is so bad that you neglected to notice any of the above and therefore suggested that we go down there. And he was like, oh, that's what it means. Pet products? No, I was looking for, I was hoping for pet prods as in something to prod you with it was just this this great humor and it it was like it always just managed to like just you know there's another one um gloria and uh lars gloria's lars's boy uh, girlfriend and they're driving along and it's just them driving and you just see this car and you hear stomp 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 and gloria's like hey you know what are you doing and he's like what am I doing? And she's like, you're stepping on the imaginary brakes every time I make a, you know, I I speed up or I take a turn Mm -hmm. and I find it very annoying. And he's like, Gloria, you've got me all wrong. I'm not stepping on the imaginary brakes. I'm stomping on the imaginary grapes (laughs) for the imaginary wine I will drink in celebration. Should we make it home alive? And it was just like this awesome, (laughs) like the humor is just amazing in it. So uh, to to all your listeners out there, if you can find on Amazon collections of the Fusco Brothers, F U S C O. 
-hmm. It is amazing. <laughs> All right, so Matt, I'm gonna start off this question with you. What kind of books or novels did you guys read growing up? Oh, um, books and novels? Um, you know, we didn't read, oddly enough, we didn't read very many novels uh, when we were growing up. Um, it was a lot of comic books. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of comic books and a lot of uh, history books. We were... <laughs> We were fascinated by nonfiction stuff. So, you know, a lot of uh, American Civil War, mm -hmm. a lot of Chinese history, a lot of um, African history, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the colonial era, uh, colonial and ju just post independence. Uh, uh, World War One, World War Two. Yeah, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, not so much the, the Vietnam War, uh, but a lot of Korean War histories. Yeah. Um, one comic we read was, uh, it's, we now, we, I think we found this out like what, maybe 10 years ago. Like this is like from growing up, but, uh, it was a series of Hong Kong comics called old master Q. Mm -hmm. And we just knew it was the old man comics because there was an old man, his two buddies, and they would just do all sorts of weird stuff in Hong mm -hmm. Kong, but we don't speak or read Cantonese or Mandarin. Yes. So... We could only sus luckily there's not a lot of text involved mm -hmm. in yeah. those comics. Um, they're, 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 they're almost they're vaudevillian. Yeah, in their their feel. So and so we, we could read it and not worry too much about uh, about what was being said because they weren't saying anything. And so yeah. so that was like one of the. And when they did say something, we're like, we just made stuff up, and then we're like, oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, so, um, John, I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to start with you. What kind of TV shows or movies did you guys um, watch growing up? I mean, I know you guys said oh. your mom. I actually, yeah, so I want to, want to and I'm going to follow up with an off-the-cuff um, question, so yeah. Okay, uh, so I think it's kind of probably easier to figure out what we didn't watch, uh, okay. because when we were growing up, if anything blew up or got shot at, our, it was our dad that brought us to go see it. Um, if there was blood or murder or anything like just horrific, our mm -hmm. mom would bring us to see it. And then honestly, everything else, our brother Mitchell would bring us to see it. So oh, okay. in one week we could see like, for example, Rambo, uh, the thing, mm -hmm. and then a, you know, silent French a, film. Yeah. A, yeah. A, you know, a silent French film with a live piano player, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I think that's how we wound up seeing a bunch of uh, like Laurel and Hardy mm -hmm. silent films. Our brother was like, Hey, they're having retrospective at the Granada. Let's go there. We're like, yay. Um, but that's how we got introduced to like uh, Woody Allen, mm -hmm. um, you know, John Carpenter, uh -huh. uh, Walter Hill. <laughs> John yeah. Uh, so, so, so everything, you know, everything under the sun uh, in terms of TV shows. Um, we didn't watch Green Acres or Bonanza. No, no. But everything else was pretty much fair game. Yeah. Um, our, our, our mom's favorite story was that when she was pregnant with us, she would watch Gomer Pyle. <laughs> uh, but our, our personal favorites, it's got to be stuff like Wings, News Radio, and Frasier. Yeah. Um, the, those, those three are... Um, Hill Street Blues was, Hill Street Blues was big when we were growing up. Yeah. Um, 
we watched 30 something, even though at the time we were nowhere near we were like 14 or 15. We're like, yeah. we have nothing to do with these people, but it's kind of cool. The acting's really good. Um, yeah. In terms of movies, I mean, oh, golly. I mean, like, uh, Star Trek 2 blew our minds. Star Trek 2 is amazing. Um, I would say movies like High Fidelity and Almost Famous and uh-huh. Wonder Boys kind of had a more personal impact on us. Yeah. Um, and then a mini series would be Lonesome Dove. Lonesome oh, Dove wow. is like friggin' amazing. Yeah. Uh, I want to say uh, we Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers are great. Uh-huh. Um, love their movies. And yeah, just just honestly, all sorts of stuff. Um, Streets of Fire has been a big one. Uh, yeah. We we're so so happy to say that out of. All the we've met two of the cast members of it so far. We've met Michael Pere yes. and uh, Ed Bagley Jr. And they're both really nice. Guys. Yes, they are. They're totally Super nice. Awesome. Like um, Ed Bagley Jr. had forgotten he was in that movie. <laughs> and then hearing him try to explain what Streets of Fire was to his daughter, and because she, she was like, "Streets of Fire, what's that?" Yeah. And he was like, "Oh my, I've forgotten." <laughs> oh wow, we're like, "How did you forget?" It's an, it, Willem Dafoe and Michael Prey have a hammer fight at the end, and the entire time Willem Dafoe is wearing like vinyl coveralls. <laughs> how can how can you forget that? Yeah. It's like our, our explanation of the movie did not help him explain it to his daughter. The entire time she has this look on her face, like okay, <laughs> and they're singing. Okay, it's awesome. <laughs> so, Matt, I'm going to ask you. So, where did you guys meet? Ed Bagley Jr. and tell him about we, this. <laughs> we met Ed Bagley Jr. on the set of the short-lived TV show The Millers. Um, we oh, were familiar. very awkward con- convention goers, and I forget what question we asked, but um, but we're in the crowd and we're just yeah. with a bunch of you know stereotypical convention nerds. Yeah. And uh, Ed Bagley Jr. was on there, and we're like... And he, he was a space cult member. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a member of space cult. So we get to meet him, and he's wearing, like, this white bathrobe. <laughs> and uh, we were like, you look very comfortable. We're, we're, we're doing casual as well. Um, but when we heard... When we saw that he was on the, the, the cast list, we were like, oh, my God, this is amazing! <laughs> and we would have approached Bo Bridges. But he seemed very busy at the time. Yes. But oh. otherwise, it's like, oh, shit, fabulous Baker boys. Oh, my God. He yeah. was, like, so fucking great in that. Um, but he was busy the entire time. Yeah. He was, he was one of the leads, you know? Yeah. So, so it, was, it was tough to talk to the leads. They were very you know, occupied. Mm-hmm. And, but, but everyone on that set was, was, was very yeah. kind. That's pretty cool. All right. Um, let's see. Matt, I'm going to start this question with you. Now, Drew... The co-host submitted this question. Do you guys remember what was your first comic shop you guys went to? Yeah, our, our first comic shop that we went to was right, Lone yeah. Star. Okay, huh? sorry. Yeah, continue. It was a uh, Lone Star Comics, uh, now known as what? MyComicShop.com. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, they they had uh, several locations in the Dallas I think Fort Worth they, area. I think they peaked at eight. Yeah. So it was right, Dallas, yeah. Fort Worth, Arlington, Garland, uh, Plano. And we went there. Um, then they started to sort of pare back. We went to college. 
Um, and and they all, finally shed all of their physical yeah. retail places in I think favor like, of just doing web. I think like three, no, four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just doing like sales. So. They're purely online. And then in Austin, we went to Funny Papers. Then we got a job there. Uh-huh. Um, and then after Funny Papers, Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair. Uh-huh. Yeah, Dragon's. Which, which was actually one of the first stores to carry Declan and Chang. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. We're like, we used to we used to shop here. <laughs> Will you buy our comic books? <laughs> they were very, very, very kind and said, yeah, we'll buy like three copies. And they sold them. Yeah. You know? That is pretty cool. Now, I'm going to touch upon that later when we start talking about you guys and breaking into comics and stuff. So, um, Matt, I'm going to ask, huh, um, so you guys kind of sort of gave an idea of how you guys broke into the, um, into the show business. So, um... <laughs> Now, you guys mentioned you guys worked as production assistants. And so, Matt, I'm going to ask, can, can you just describe for the listeners, you know, what is the role of a production assistant? Um, I, I, I forgot who put it poetically, but they said, your job as a uh, production assistant is professional fart catcher. <laughs> um, essentially, any sort of... might have been Lance Henriksen. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but a production assistant... Uh, that's literally their job. They assist the production. So anything that needs doing, Uh um, you do. Uh So let's say, hey, you know, the star needs a cup of coffee. Get a Uh PA to do it. Um, Wardrobe needs this. Yeah, wardrobe needs you. Need someone to go to the store and grab like 5,000 clothespins. Get a PA to do it. Uh Um, Anything that doesn't require specialized knowledge and brute force Uh will likely wind up being the production assistant's job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Moving stuff, grabbing stuff, mm-hmm. informing someone that something needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's your job. John, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. You said Lance Hendrickson. Did you uh-huh. guys meet him? Lance Hendrickson? Yes. Yes. He now, is an amazing fellow. Um, for our listeners, he is um, his, his well-known series in Millennium. You know, and also pop culture stuff is Terminator and Aliens. Okay, sorry. Continue yeah. on, John. Oh, well, I and would also have to add, if any of you out there do not know who Lance Henriksen is, shame. educate yourself, because shame on you, man. But no, uh, we, we, we met him twice. Uh, once was on uh, a set. Uh, our friend Richard was doing the makeup and the practical effects on one movie. I forget which one it was. It's like uh, Alone in the Dark 2 or something? Yeah, it's like Alone in the Dark 2, something like that. Wait, um, oh, oh, Alone in the... Okay, okay. Yeah, but uh, we... we yeah, but uh, I think, maybe. But uh, he was like, hey, I know you guys are, are big fans of his. And we're like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we met him, and it was great. Uh, we had a very interesting conversation about Betty Page. And... Uh, and the what animal was on my t-shirt mm-hmm. uh, because uh, for those of you from Texas or who have been to Texas, you, you will know Bucky's, the uh, Texas road stop. Uh, Matt and I had bought several t-shirts from there and it has this beef, their, their mascot's a beaver and uh, you know, on the shirt, it's, there's this beaver and it's, you know, and, and Lance was like, what is that? Like a badger or something? I was like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's beaver. And he's like, oh, okay. So we talked about that for a little bit. And then the second time we met him was at San Diego Comic-Con. 
and he remembered us and his uh, autobiography had just come out. Mm-hmm. And so he was so great because we came up, we're like, hey, and he's like, no, no, uh, you're Richard's friends. And so we, we talked to him about his biography. He told us some great stories uh, about Bill Paxton. And because uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things was that once again, bringing it back to, to Stuart, Stuart Gordon, Stuart Gordon had told us about uh, Lance Henriksen on the set of the Pit, Pit and the Pendulum. And there's a, and we recounted with him and he laughed because the story is, so the entire time, Lance Henriksen is playing, uh, I think, Torquemada. Uh, He's playing this terrible, terrible inquisitor. And he would never leave character. And so Stuart would sit there and say, uh, Lance, can you, uh, when, you, when you're delivering your speech, you know, can you go camera right? And he'd be like, why? Why? Well, because I'm the director and I say so. Fuck off. And it was like this for weeks. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And so finally, last day shooting, he's like, okay, Lance, you're coming down the steps, you know, and basically you're going to be addressing this, you know, this frightened young one, and I want you, but I want you to start talking at the top of the steps, and as you come down, every step you take, another word comes out, so it's very, like, you know, very menacing, you know, and once again, Lance Arkson is like, why? What the fuck for? And Stuart was like, okay, you know what? I give up. You win. Just do whatever you're going to do. And Lance Henriksen smiled. I was like, come on, man. You were this close. <laughs> and it's like, you know, he's a great guy. And we were just reminiscing about, you know, uh, with, you know, with him about his experiences on the pit and the pendulum. And someone, one of his handlers was like, you know, excuse me, you know, you have to, you, uh, you have a panel to get to. He's like, hold on, hold on. Like, 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 let me finish talking with my, uh, with, with, you know, my friends here. And so we talked for about another five minutes and then we we're like, Hey, you know what? We'll let you go. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And great guy. I mean, like just, just amazing. So, um, haven't seen him in a while. I wish we could though. It'd be nice. <laughs> so Matt, I'm going to ask how cool was it that Lance remembered you guys? The second oh, season? I mean, Holy cow. Oh, that it, it blew our minds. We're like our, you know, because he's got to talk to hundreds of people. Yes. Easily every year. Uh-huh. And for him to not only just, I mean, you know, because maybe he was just being nice and he said, oh, yeah, of course I remember you guys. You know, I mean, you can say that and yeah. it doesn't mean anything. But then he, he recalls the circumstance under which we met and we're like, oh, my God, he does remember us. He remembers us as Richard's friends. Yay. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just, yeah. It's mind-boggling because mm-hmm. even when, I mean, like little things, like when when someone at the grocery store remembers us, you know, hey guys, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> we, we get, oh my god, they were <laughs> so for someone like Lance Henriksen, whose stuff we've seen for just years and years and years, yeah. um, to to acknowledge you like that is just. It, it it stays with you. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that's pretty. That is pretty cool. That really is. Um. So, Matt, I'm going to ask you. You know, what was the most fun set you guys worked on as production assistants? I mean, to the point where you guys go, I can't believe we're having so much fun that they're paying us 
that I mean, even the stars are, hey, Matt, hey, John, how are you guys doing today? You know. Ooh, as production assistants, um, I'm going to say <laughs> it's never fun. <laughs> um, um, the Scarecrow Slayer was good. Um, I, I can't say that we had a bad time mm-hmm. on Scarecrow Slayer because, again, everything on any set that uh, anyone is ever going to be on, what the, the, the tone and the tempo of the set is going to start at the top. Mm-hmm. And when you've, got, when you've got people in charge who are otherwise, you know, fun people or mm-hmm. professional, then it's going to be okay. Yeah. And David Latt was, or not it not was is um, David Latt's a good guy, um, and it I won't lie it's hard work, mm-hmm. but those were those were really good, uh, really good times. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. Um, there there was another set. I, I won't say which one it was because I, I don't want to like you know dog on anyone. No, but no, yeah. the uh, the director you can have all the enthusiasm in the world, but a director's job is to make decisions. And if you're indecisive, then things become real, super painful, real, super quick. Mm-hmm. And he was indecisive. He was borderline useless in terms of mm-hmm. getting things done. Mm-hmm. And so you would just burn half a day waiting on this person to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And the whole time he thinks that, you know, he's being directorial by, you know, furrowing his brow and, resting his hand and his chin on his hand and, you know, looking at this thing and going, ah, oh, hmm. Uh-huh. Hmm. and no, it's not, that's not directorial. That's just being a prat. And uh-huh. he would waste so much time doing that. That set sucked. No. Uh-huh. Um, probably the only set we have ever walked off of. It is. Um, and it was amazing because one of our friends uh, was the set designer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the end of the platoon, when Charlie Sheen is flying off, yes, yeah, and Raj is like, you know, oh, yeah, he's like pounding his chest. Um, we that morning we had just quit, and we're driving off, and the set director had somehow found a large stick with barbed wire wrapped around the end, and he just oh goes as oh! <laughs> <laughs> sort of a salute to us as we left, as we got out of there. Yeah, um, so. <laughs> so so that that one it, even in its own way as horrible as that set was was great <laughs> yeah <laughs> <clears throat> all right so i'm gonna move on to something more fun so john i'm gonna start off with so because actually yeah before okay. i start the question i'm gonna I'll let you let the listeners know kind of like your first your your first co-starring roles was in observe and report now, yes. John, how did you guys get those roles? Uh, that is a bit of a long story. Um, yeah. It's a cool one. It's a cool yes. one. Uh, so Matt had the, the writer and director of that, Jody Hill, uh, who went on to do, uh, what is it? Vice Principles, uh, Eastbound and Down, and now Righteous Gemstones with Rough House. Um, he, is, uh, he was working in reality TV at the time, and Matt had worked with him for a little okay. bit. Um, for first for about a year or so and then they came on uh, Jody and Matt worked on a second reality TV show 
um, about a year and a half after the first one. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so one day Matt and I had gone to the shooting range and had shot a, uh, a silhouette all in the head and then Uh all in the crotch. Just funny, right? You know, ha ha. And we had brought it back to the, the office and one of the, uh, one of our coworkers taped that silhouette up and said, who wants to fight the Ewans? You know, ha ha ha. But Jody was like, oh, I'll do it, man. And it was hilarious because Jody is a third or fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo, Mm -hmm. which means he can kick our ass just thinking about it. Um, You know what I mean? Like, you know, whether or not we had like, you know, friggin' machine gun in each hand, he's kicking our asses, you know? And so we're like, no fucking way, dude. No, uh uh-uh, no. We we could be armed. You could be 30 feet away. We're dead men. So, (laughs) no. (laughs) But um, he, he thought we were funny. And, uh, so one day, uh, we get a call and I'm just listening to Matt and, you know, it's on speakerphone and, uh, it's, he's like, Hey guys, you know, you know, I, 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 I got a picture a movie deal with Warner brothers. Matt's like, that's great. Congratulations, dude. That is amazing. Yeah. And, um, he was like, and you know, it got, it's got Seth Rogen in it. And we're like, Oh, that's so great. That is so cool. And then he was like, yeah, now, I know you guys don't like to do this, but you're going to want to do this. We're like, dude, we will PA for you anytime. Mm-hmm. So like, Warner Brothers, come on, man. And he was like, no, it's a bit bigger than that. And so Matt's like, well, okay, I have to tell you, when I was a boom operator, I did a shitty job. Mm-hmm. And when we were craft services, we did even worse. I mean, like, for fuck's sake, we pulled a knife on a homeless guy. You know, um, it, we're, we're awful at that. I mean, we'll do it, but we're terrible at it. And he's, he's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? I wrote roles for you two. And we're like, huh? We're not actors. He's like, well, you are now. And we're like, okay. And because apparently uh, he, he liked us. He thought that we you know fit for it. And uh, yes, so he wrote the roles. And it was, it was great because he um, – he wanted to make sure the the reason why our names in uh, Observe and Report are John and Matt Ewan is because he did not want to ins- inadvertently insult us uh-huh. by having made up names mean something like let's say dog face or asshole you know something like that. Um, uh-huh. He 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 was very re- he was very cool about it, and so um, you know he he is very. He was, he's, he's a very cool guy. Very cool guy. Um, and that's why we are, uh, that, that's, that's how we got into Observe and Report. And that's, that's, that's honestly how we began acting. And then after that, we're like, hey, we actually kind of enjoy this. It's not that terrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I'm, now, you know, I remember the last time when, I, when we talked about this, you guys, um, you guys mentioned about your great experience at, the press conference for for the release of the movie. How great was that? Yes. Okay. So um, it was on stage, and it was great because they introduced everybody. And this it premiered at South by Southwest um, in two thousand nine in Austin. Mm-hmm. And a it's great. It's great that it was South by Southwest because we had volunteered there two years. I think it's like two. 
2000 and 2001, mm-hmm. we volunteered at uh, South by Southwest. Um, and so it's like, you know, we're volunteers there. We, we had a, uh, we helped assemble reels uh-huh. for, for the movies. But um, so when we got back there, it's like, oh shit, now we're on the other side of the, you know, the, the, the everything, you know, we're in front of the cameras. But um, it was on stage um, and people were asking questions uh-huh. and they said, you know, Anna Ferris, and she, this, she's just so fucking great. There's no other way to put it. Um, because when she got up to answer her questions, she was like, look, you know, but I'll answer questions, but, but for anyone asks me anything, you two, you, you guys have got to hear the zombie survival plan these two have. This was a conversation we had had with her on set just because anyone who will listen will tell them how we plan to survive the zombie apocalypse. And so everyone just cheers and we get out there and we detail our plans. We're like, we live about a block away from an Anna Waltz hardware store. It's got a mm-hmm. wrought iron fence around it. We are going to go in there, barricade ourselves because they have all this construction material and everything. Yeah. We'll build a fort mm-hmm. and then live off of the impulse items until we can start growing stuff. Cause they have like, you know, they have seeds and stuff. Yeah. And it'll be great. You know, and everyone goes crazy. And then someone was like, you know, Hey, how did you get these parts and Matt jokes? Well, the audition was tough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he's like, you know, man, the the other 20 sets of Asian twins we had to beat out. (laughs) And, you know, everyone laughed. Um, But I mean, God bless her. She, she like basically was just like, she's like, no, ask, you know, get a, get a load of these guys. And so (laughs) that, that we have always just been like, she is too fucking cool. You know, (laughs) like, you know, and and she's ama- amazingly talented, but she she has a she is very generous and very very awesome. So you know, and then and then and then later on, she tried to give away her cat. <laughs> <laughs> like we we had a uh, we had a bus shelter uh, of uh, observe and report, mm-hmm. and uh, one of our Facebook friends was serving in Iraq, and he was like, "Hey, you know, do you think you get us something for you know like a poster or something?" We're like. I think we can do a little bit better than a poster or something. And so we got the bus shelter and got as much of the cast to sign it as we could. All the, the producers, you know, Jody. Um, and when we went over to, uh, like, we were like, you know, can we get Anna Ferris to sign this? And they're like, yeah, sure. And she's like, oh yeah, here, here's my address. And we're like, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, went there and uh, found out that uh, her cat mm-hmm. was one of the cats in Stuart Little. Oh, and cool. super cool. We're like, oh my god, that is so great! And she's like, yeah, you want him? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the cat was kind of an asshole. <laughs> we're like, no, we are not going to steal, but because we we show up with a Stuart little cat underneath our arm, someone's going to think we we catnapped him, and then we're, <laughs> it, we just can't explain that to the police. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask Matt, um, Matt. Um, um, you like the, he, he's indisposed right now, but I'll, I'll pick up for him. <laughs> okay, so um, when you guys work with Anna Ferris, I know you say that she's great and stuff. You know, uh, how awesome was she working on the set? Like, hey guys, how are you guys doing today? Kind of the or um, you know, I she was she was great. I mean, like she was she was awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I oh hold on, let's see. Oh, yeah. uh, 
Go on. Uh, yeah. she, she, she was great. Um, I want to say that. Uh, Mm-hmm. Hold on. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna make sure that uh, because our our phone's running a little bit low, and I just want to make sure that we're uh, okay. Um, she's great. Uh, I want to say that she was very professional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I can't recall a single complaint or anything out of her. Oh, um, okay. and. I mean, you know, that, that is a stereotype. A lot of actresses, they say, you know, why, am I, you know, why is this dragging? So for, she was fine. She was great. Um, she, she, like, you know, she, she never argued with the director. You know, she, she was, I mean, she, she just contributed a lot, you know. Uh, so, so, yeah, no, I mean, just, just a sheer joy. I mean, like, we didn't have, I mean, we barely had one scene with her. Um, but no, it's just, just. I mean, I hate to sound pat, but yeah, no, she was just awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's that's great. That's great to hear. So, all right, so Matt, I'm going to ask you, how did you guys, um, how did you guys get the Agents of Shield gig? How did that come up? <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, the Agents of Shield gig was, so this was about, I want to say, a year. No, it was a year and a half before our episode. Is and it, it, we rehearsed for season... We, we auditioned for season, for season five? I think it was five or six. Five or six, uh-huh. yeah. Um, we auditioned for season five or six. Our managers were like, or was like, hey, guys, you know, have you ever heard of Agents Marvel's of, or Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And we're like, yeah. And, well, you're auditioning. Yay! So we go there. We auditioned for it. And the... Uh, the casting director, she was, she was great, said, why don't you two go into the next room and sort of split the lines? Because we'll see if we can do a twin thing. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, sounds good. We go and we rehearse for like 15 minutes. We come back, we do our thing. And we don't hear anything from them. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, man, we, we, we bombed, whatever. Oh, you live and you learn, right? Yeah. And about a year and a half after that, we get a call from our manager. She's like, guys, so Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wants you. And we're like, that episode has already, it's airing pretty soon. And she's like, no, I I don't know. They they want you. And so we're like, yeah, of course we'll do it. Uh And we get there and we find out that they so loved our take on interstellar weapon dealers <laughs> that <laughs> they were like, no, because the weapon dealers, spoiler alert, the weapons dealers die or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want us to die. And they wanted us to have a bigger role than just the one scene. And so the writer of the episode, Brent, uh, Brent Fletcher, yeah, Brent Fletcher actually wrote us in, wrote parts for us. And he was like, we, at the time, we didn't know what it was, but we knew that you guys were going to be Deke's best friends. <laughs> and that's the origin of our roles for that. And we were like, oh, my God. Like, they, Because we were talking with some of the other cast members, and they were like, you know, how was your audition? And we were like, it was like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Brent Fletcher tells us, yeah, we wrote this for you guys. And we're like, oh, my God. Like, then we started to feel like super self-conscious and shit. 
but but yeah like um and again you want to talk about a set that it was just a sheer joy to be mm-hmm. on my god that that set was great yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah the biggest complaint is oh my god they're only three video games here to play (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah everyone was just super accommodating just super friendly and welcoming Mm -hmm. people we didn't have scenes with um little hensridge was elizabeth hensridge was just um so amazing um yeah uh clark Gregg. he you know we i mean we, we he was in the episode you know as a virtual representation he 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 wasn't there but even when he showed up he was like he was totally friggin' awesome yeah just everyone great. was so everyone. great yeah that is so cool henry simmons he was great yeah so all right i know you guys posted some pictures um from the set on your twitter feed i think the week the episode came out that was back in 2020 2020 uh, yeah yeah okay now john i'm gonna add, i'm gonna start off with you this with this okay. question about the um, Agents of Shields um, set that you guys were on, I'm joking. Did you guys accidentally took something home from the set? <laughs> I wish we had, um, <laughs> because our our outfits. So uh, at the end of uh, Agents of Shields run, they auctioned off a bunch of the the, uh, the outfits. Yes. And men are like, this is great because we'll just buy our outfits and it'll be awesome. We'll have yeah. some memorabilia. And ours were the only ones who didn't make it onto the auction. And we're like, oh, man. And so we called them up. And we, or we didn't call them up. We emailed them. And we're like, hey, you know, our outfits are not up for, for auction. Is there any way we can still buy them? And apparently I, they had no idea where they went. Yeah. They, I, think, I think that's the reason why they, like, got – I'm assuming because they were, A, they probably don't have too many actors that are our size. And so chances are what they had got repurposed for something else. Uh-huh. And that's why it wasn't there. So, so in hindsight, I wish we had stolen those, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I would have tried to make way with the entire set for the Zephyr um, oh because God. why not? Uh, there, there was, there were, there were, there were a couple of things. I mean, like that were just, I mean, if I could have, I, I'd have stolen the shield plaque off the wall. Oh um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, they'd be like, what are you doing with that moving truck? <laughs> just ignore me. Forget it. I'm, I'm just, I, they, they told me I could take this stuff. Leave me alone. <laughs> I think, I think we have a few scripts. That's it. Yeah. We, we definitely have the, the, the table read scripts and, uh, you know, stuff like that emails, but mm-hmm. unless you print them out, you can't hold an email, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Matt, I'm going to ask, because you guys said you have this, you know, a couple of the scripts. Did you guys ask for autographs from like Greg Clark? Um, did you guys we did we we tend not to do that we take pictures yeah mm-hmm. um but uh autographs we i don't know why we don't we get it's weird we get autographs from comic people yeah no, but from other right. actors we tend not to and i don't know why no that's um, it's 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 it, you know until you asked that we never really thought about it yeah, because I was just thinking about it. Like, there's a lot of sets that we've been on, and we have never asked for autographs. We should. Yeah. But, but we, I mean, we get pictures. Yeah. And and I think that's a little bit more... Maybe we've segregated, like, our acting and our comic books in our mind and our varieties of fandom thereof. Yeah. You know, yeah. so 
as the actor part of us, it's like, no, it's more personal to just have the memories and the pictures. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the comic book people, we're like, no, we're in full on collector mode. You know, so yes. we have to have the sign this, <laughs> sign <laughs> this now, you lucky. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think I think that's that's probably what it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, I know you guys have been in the business for a while. I remember the last time when I talked to you guys, I know you guys have met legendary pop culture, you know, legends such as like Tony Todd, who played in Candyman, Kern, yeah. from The Next Generation, DS9, as you mentioned, Vernon Wells. Um, and recently you guys also um, posted a picture that you also met um, the commercial actress, Bonnie Hellman. From yes. And, okay, so ex tell me that experience. Okay, oh, this is amazing. Um, so we're we're on the set for season two of uh, Little America, okay. and that's pretty much all we can say about it. All right. Um, but Bonnie Hellman was part of the the cast, and she doesn't. No one else looks like her, mm -hmm. and she is the star of two of our favorite commercials of all time the uh, geico wild thing daydream dmv commercial yes and she's also in the vroom commercial for the uh the, the better the, way to buy cars yeah better mm -hmm. way to buy cars the guy gets kidnapped and she's got like this david lynchian foggy lens to her yes. glasses and she she is she is a sweetheart she she's is totally so totally great cool like I'm like, excuse me, you're from that room commercial. She just lights up, and she's like, yes. I, I also had a Geico commercial at the time. I'm like, yes, you are so cool. You're like a, and I, I immediately just stopped. Like, this is how freaked out I was. I immediately stopped talking to her, and I text John. I'm like, John, you'll never guess who I'm standing next to. Uh -huh. And he's like, no way, get a picture. I was like, oh hell no, you're gonna be on set like on Monday, so we're all getting a picture. And she was like. She was just laughing the time the whole time because I was just nerding out so badly. Um, but she's she's great. She is yeah. so awesome. Really nice, super mm -hmm. super friendly, real professional. Just the greatest. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, John, I'm going to ask. Okay. Who else did you guys meet? Um, that were, who else did you guys? Um, have met that were awesome. That show, oh my god, I can't believe we've met you. A lot, uh, a lot of people. If I if I had to choose Henry Winkler, mm -hmm. Henry Winkler is okay. So just to show you what it what the how how incredibly fucking nice this guy is. I mean, yeah. and it's genuine. He is a genuinely amazing human being. Uh, it was on the set of Larry Gay, uh, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. And we were having lunch and we were, I think we were just, you know, you know, just talking. And he's like, you know, tell me a little bit about everyone. You know, everyone tell me a little bit about yourselves. And we were talking and it comes to us and we're like, you know, we make a totally, I mean, it's just a self-deprecating joke. We're like, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we speak one language. We are not so great at math and Matt's a really good driver. We are shitty Asians. <laughs> and you know, it, Everyone laughs, except for him. He's like, no, no, you're great Asians. Because he's, 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 
he's fucking great. Like, there, there's nothing else we can say about that. He's just yeah. the nice, nicest guy ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he finds he he found our self deprecating humor to be offensive because he's like, no, no, you guys are awesome. So so yeah, was just such a nice guy. <laughs> um, but I mean, like honestly, but like I mean like. Ryan Reynolds is pretty fucking cool. He's a really nice guy. Um, oh, wait a minute, Matt. I want to hear. How did you, did, Matt? Did you meet Ryan Reynolds? Did you yeah, actually? we met Ryan Reynolds on the set of uh, on the set of Green Lantern. Yeah, um, him and Blake Lively. Him and Blake Lively. Now I know that he 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 makes fun of it, but but he's allowed. He was in it, you know. Yeah. Um, but but we talked about uh, what is it? We talked about the F twenty two and the F thirty five for a little bit. Um, but he's a super nice guy. Blake Lively is super nice. Um, she she recommended a few places for us to go get hamburgers. Um, but yeah, like, you know, they're willing to take time out of, they were in the middle of filming and, you know, they're just like, oh, hey guys. And they come over and they talk to us and uh, we chatted, you know, a little bit about, because we, we were talking with Ryan Reynolds in front of uh, one of the airplanes that's supposed to be for Ferris Air. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, you know, can you imagine flying one of these things? And we're like, no, no, because someone's generally shooting at you when you're one of these. <laughs> um, but um, John mentioned the design of the canopy and how they had to redesign it to give the pilots more situational awareness. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Reynolds uh, added to the conversation that this latest generation of fighters, I think the F-35 has got these cameras so that if you're even in your cockpit, you look down at your feet, normally you would just see nothing but cockpit floor, but now you see like the sort of visual representation of what's beneath you. Mm -hmm. And so we, we sort of nerded out over aviation technology (laughs) and how far it's come. And, uh, yeah, that, that visiting that set was amazing because again, everyone was super nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we found out from, one of the extras that everyone was scared of us. Mm-hmm. And because we're, we're just, we, we talked to uh, Ryan Reynolds, we talked to Blake Lively. Um, and the producer, and uh, Donald DeLine. Yeah, we, uh, Donald DeLine's our friend. And we were just sitting there minding our own business and an extra comes walking up and she's like, hey guys. And we're like, hello, how's it going? And she was like, going good, it's a little hot. Um, which is understatement. It was yeah, really hot. it was hot, like eighty degrees. It's New Orleans, or eighty percent humidity and like ninety-eight degrees. It was oh. god awful. Um, but she was like, "Everyone there, over there, is scared of y'all." And we're like, "Why? Why? We're nobody." And she was like, "Well, they saw you talking with the producer and the stars, and they were absolutely convinced that if we talk to you, we're going to get fired." And we're like, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> we, we we can fire no one. Don't worry about it." <laughs> Um, and we're still friends to this day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> M. Yeah, M. Uh, she calls us Rick and Tom because she was like, you know what? You know, they're not wearing name badges or anything like that, but they look like a Rick and Tom. And we're like, <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, she's great. She's great. Um, but yeah, the, and on that set, we uh, caught up with the writers of Zombieland. Zombieland. Oh. Which is weird because they live about four and a half miles away from us here in LA. Yeah, and <laughs> we had to see them in New Orleans. Yeah, like, 
um, very briefly met Taika Waititi on that set. Yeah, but he was he he was he was busy because I think he was getting ready for his scenes. Yeah, he was he was getting ready for some stunt stuff, and we yeah. were just like, oh my god! But uh, super nice guy, you yeah, know. Like, mm-hmm. there was no one on that set who wasn't just like extremely awesome. <laughs> Sorry, John, I didn't mean to cut you off, but when you said no. you had met Ryan Reynolds, I was like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> no, 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 we both experienced it, so yeah, it's good to get it from multiple perspectives. <laughs> so how did you guys get on, or able to get on the set of Green Lantern? Uh, so Green Lantern was produced by Donald DeLine, and we have, uh, Donald DeLine was also one of the producers of Observe and Report, and we have kept in touch with him and the other producers. Uh, of uh, Observe and Report. So uh, when we found out that he was doing Green Lantern, we were like, yeah, we we got to visit that set because it was Green Lantern. Come on, man. You know, yeah. so we're, we're comic book geeks. So he, he was very, very nice. He, he got us access to the set and it was hilarious because we kept our visitors badges from that. Because, you know, I think they're still hanging around here somewhere. Um, or they're in storage. Yeah, but uh, we, we still have those. And it was hilarious because we uh, they were setting up everything. And at one point, he was like, you know, come on over. Oh, we met Tim Robbins on that set. He's fucking great, too. He's amazing. Um, but uh, he's like, I'll, I'll introduce you to Tim. We're like, oh, my God, Tim Robbins. You know? <laughs> and uh, we, he, he was like, and he stops and he's like, can we cross the set? Mm-hmm. And this PA is like, well, it is your set, Mr. DeLine. And he's like, okay, fair enough. And so we crossed the set. Um, and then we met Tim Robbins, and Tim Robbins is fucking awesome. Um, don't mean to rat him out. He did steal something from the premiere party. Um, <laughs> there, there were little, there were table lights in the shape of the Green Lantern ring. Yeah. And we're pretty sure we saw him pocket one of those. Oh, no. I- <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but uh, he he's super cool. Um, we talked to him about all sorts of stuff. We talked to him about high fidelity, um, the Cradle of Rock. Yeah, which was a, if you if your listeners have not seen that, check out the Cradle of Rock, directed by Tim Robbins. Um, Hank Azaria is leading it or a leading it, and it's it's a great movie. And John um, Cusack, it's John Cusack, an amazing yeah. cast. I think John Cusack's in it. Yes, too. yes, he's so, phenomenal in it. Uh, so, so check out the cradle, uh, the cradle will rock. It's a great movie directed by Tim Robbins. Um, but yeah, so, so uh, no, we we have not met anyone that we would say is like you know a jerk or a creep or an asshole. You know, I mean, like we've been very, very, very. I mean, and it's not us just being obsequious. We honestly, I mean, like if I thought about it, I the worst I can say anyone ever was was just oh my god, they were merely professional. And it's like. <laughs> So the Green Lantern movie, this is the perfect segue into comics. So I remember you guys mentioned you guys own a comic shop. For our listeners, um, John, I'm going to ask, what sparked you guys, what sparked the idea of opening up a comic shop? Um, we, had, we had a friend who uh, ran one, and that shop lost its lease. And so we're like, well, you know, we, can, we, we had worked at one, uh, two before, I believe. Um, and you know, he, he knew the business, we knew the business. And so we were like, why not? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of our chance to kind of see if we could do it, you know, and like, and, and do it the way we wanted to. And mm-hmm. while we did it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was cool caps, comics and cards. Mm-hmm. It was uh, located in West Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And 
it, it was great because we did our best to push local creators and independent comics. Nice. And it actually did really well. We had some indies that outsold the majors because they, they were offering stuff that people hadn't seen before and wanted or didn't know they wanted, but now they did. And uh, I mean, like there, there was one I remember uh, called uh, from one of our friends. Um, he, he turned out a graphic novel and it got to the point where we we're like, Hey, yo, you know, send more our way. And he's like, yes. what do you mean? I'm sold out. Mm-hmm. And we're like, print more, damn you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but I mean, and we're talking about $20 trade paperbacks. Yes. And when you sell out enough to like run the creator out, you know, you've done a pretty good job. So, um, but yeah, we, you know, we would, we would sell stuff that we personally enjoyed. Uh, like, you know, um, Matt, Matt, often tells this story about how yeah I'll, I'll i'd be sitting in in the back just doing inventory or filling orders or something like that mm-hmm. and i would out of the you know not the i guess the corner of my ear i would hear john say no 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 no, no. You, you, you don't want that because it's crap yeah and i'm just like dude we're trying to, oh god and so i would go and see john like browbeating somebody like jack black and high fidelity yeah. You know, no, you don't want this book. You go to the source. Get the buy the book that this guy ripped off to make his pale imitation. Mm-hmm. And but, sorry, hold on. You guys still there? And and by the time, um, yeah, yeah, we're still here. Okay. Um, and and by the time the the customer had left, mm-hmm. um, they would have like this armload of books. Mm-hmm. And then about, I would say, anywhere from two weeks to a, like three weeks later, they would come back and they mm-hmm. would say, yeah, so I went to another store and I bought that book that you told me not to buy. Mm-hmm. I should have listened to you. And John's <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> but while you're here, you, you know, this, the creator also did this. And, you know, so it, it, it worked out really, really well. But the entire time I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, dude, we can't be bullying our customers. <laughs> but you know, they, they read some good books because of it. And so I, I just stayed in the back and I just, you know, minded my own business. <laughs> now, okay, so this is where I'm gonna ask, um, actually I'll start off with, um, actually Matt, I'll start off with you. How, okay. did you guys, how did you guys break into comics? Oh, uh, okay, so we broke into comics because we were actors. Um, mm-hmm. So whenever people ask us, how do you break into comics? We tell them break into acting first. Um, but the deep, the detailed version is, so Steve Stern, mm-hmm. uh, creator of Zen intergalactic Ninja, mm-hmm. which was this great book from the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. yeah. Um, he walked into our store one day and he saw that we had drawing tables and John was working on Declan and Chang at the time. And he looks at us, he's like, hey, I know you guys. You guys are from that movie Observe and Report. And we're like, yeah, that's us. And he's oh. like, you, you guys are do comics? And we're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I made Zen Intergalactic Ninja. And we were like, oh, holy crap, dude. We used to sell the, the hell out of that when we were working in, in college. And so we, we sort of got to talking about that. And he's like, I didn't know you made your own comics. And mm-hmm. we're like, yeah. And he's like, 
you know, my publisher would love to meet you because I'm a marketing guy. And so when I see an actor who likes to make comics, that's what I call a no brainer. Uh -huh. And so he said, let's, let's get something together and, you know, pitch it to the publisher, my publisher, because, you know, he's, he's in, he's in, he's in Hollywood as well. Uh -huh. And so his idea, Steve's idea was to have the two of us be superheroes. Mm -hmm. And immediately we're like, yeah, no, that's not going to work because we are just not cool enough to be superheroes. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, uh, okay, so, oh, I got it. How about if you're bounty hunters and you hunt superheroes? Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, you're going in the wrong direction here. Mm -hmm. Not cool enough to be superheroes. Bounty hunters are cooler than superheroes. You get what we're going. And he's like, well, then what? what? It's got to be something with you two because otherwise – we can't cash in on the actor bit, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, everyone hates process servers. They're the lowest of the low. So <laughs> we're process servers that serve papers to deadbeat superheroes and supervillains. And he was like, okay, that's cool. That's great. And it's like, yeah, and we're not cool. And we get to, you know, be like the losers <laughs> in the comic book. It'd be great. And we... uh we wrote a script. Um, John, did you draw the whole first issue or just a few first pages? I drew the whole first issue. Yeah. I, I, as I roughed them out. Yeah, John roughed out the entire issue. Um, and Steve took the roughs and confused them for finished art and showed it to our publisher, Ken, mm -hmm. who's the executive producer on The Boys. Mm -hmm. And preacher, um, and Ken liked it, and he was like, "This, this is hilarious. Yeah, let's do it." And so that's uh, how we broke into, or broke the barrier between self-publishing and getting published. <laughs> now, for our listeners, you know, um, if you, you know, um, you guys have to read Serving Suits. It is hilarious. I mean. Um, to me, trying to do comedy in comics is very hard, but John and Matt have done a great job at doing that. I mean, that first issue, I'm like laughing out loud, you know? <laughs> Thank you so much, you. <laughs> it's great. Matt, this question is for you. I'm going to ask you about um, Inspector O. Can you tell the listeners what the premise of the series um, is about? Um, Inspector O, the series is about. Medieval China's uh, premier exorcist. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a ghost hunter of sorts, and he wakes up in the Chinese underworld mm -hmm. uh, dead. He does not know how he got there. Um, a woman comes to rescue him, who turns out to be his niece. Mm -hmm. And so, long story short, it is essentially a murder mystery, but in reverse. He's trying to figure out how he got there, why he's there, and who put him there. Um, so we'll be exploring that and along the way, picking up little bits of, uh, Chinese culture and history while we're at it. <laughs> and, and like, and I'm going to ask this off the cuff question. And again, I, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything, but because you guys wanted to make sure that, um, there, there was historical accuracies, um, during the story, correct? Uh, that is correct. Um, one of the things, uh, especially growing up, uh, reading, various comic books and stuff like that, you would see things that were just so horribly wrong mm 
-hmm. that you didn't even need to open up the book or the comic book and see that this person had done zero research, had zero familiarity that with uh, the culture and the history of, of China. Now, um, you know, you would have like, you know, oh, so-and-so, Chinese samurai. And you're like, oh, no, so wrong, really <laughs> wrong. Um, or, you know, you, you just, just stuff like that. And, or, or Chinese, you know, warriors using katanas. And you're like, come on, guys. It doesn't take a lot of research to, to get that little bit right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're not uh, trying to make something that is 100% historically accurate, but we do want something that is 100%, um, I would say, respectful of the yeah. history and culture mm-hmm. of, yeah. you know, of medieval China. Mm-hmm. And so the stuff that we do make up is very obviously a gag. Uh-huh. Or something that we've made up, um, and the stuff that's not, we try to footnote and say, "So this is what's going on. This is why, you <laughs> this know, is anachronistic. Yeah, this or... is why this doesn't make sense, or this why this was a joke." Uh-huh. Um, just so that you know, people, hopefully, the kids that read it will say, "Oh, that's really cool," you know. But yeah. they provide so little information. Maybe I can go and find some more on my own, you know. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And that's that was kind of the goal in providing the footnotes in the back of every issue uh-huh. uh, was to sort of spark curiosity for uh-huh. uh, Chinese culture and history. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Now your next series is called love town. So mm-hmm. John, I'm going to ask you, what is the premise of this series? Uh, the premise is um, magic is real. Uh-huh. It is not the sort of, or at least not as it is shown, the fantastical sort of, hey, snap my fingers, make a wish. Um, It is more akin to a performance-enhancing drug. Uh And so, like, any sort of, like, shortcut or, you know, devil's deal, you're going to have, you're going to have to pay the piper sooner or later. Uh And so, um, and in this world, vampires, werewolves, and ghouls all exist. um, And... They're fantastically strong. They're faster. They're stronger. They're meaner, mm-hmm. uh, but they do. But they're they're a result of a a, a a disease, a magical infection, rather than you know magical curses or anything like that. And so, as a result, they have their uses, but they form an almost perpetual underclass. Mm-hmm. And the story centers around Love Town, which is a, a the fictional city of Los Mores. It is. Uh, more, uh, it's akin to Los Angeles, late forties, early fifties. Mm-hmm. And it centers around the police department's only female detective who happens to be also their only vampire detective. She mm-hmm. was infected. Uh, as the story goes, uh, she was infected not too long before the story begins and kind of as a uh, showpiece, they were like, Hey, you know, the, the, the police force is, reflective and indicative of the population at large and here you go here's a token now get mm-hmm. out of our fucking face mm-hmm. um and the the first story arc deals with a socialite uh you know bon vivant has been killed mm-hmm. and uh the, the de- detective ali saxon was present undercover mm-hmm. but nobody can seem to remember they're trying to piece together um 
who was with the artist last, who, who would have been in position to kill him and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a kind of a, I would say a bit of a Rashomon-esque type story. You have four witnesses. They're, they all have their own points of view. They all have their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to piece together what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very, I, I would say, I, not, not ashamed to say, influenced very heavily by uh, Matt Wagner, like uh, Wendell. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Batman black and white work oh, uh, and uh, of course Frank Miller's Sid City um, mm-hmm. and uh, his Daredevil stuff yeah um, let's see um, because Matt I'm going to ask you who because because it's been a while since I read actually I think the zero issue because um, John like you said it's, a, it's in black and white and you guys also have touch of red in there is that correct Matt I can't remember that. That that is correct. Uh, so, it's a it's a black, white, and red uh, book. We mm-hmm. originally printed it in black and white. Yes. But then um, Ken Ken was like, like, "Can we make it in color?" And we're like, "Nah." And then um, Matt was like, "Let's let's just add red." Yeah. You know, because it's really stark. It looks great, yes. and you know, and, and it actually winds up being a lot harder to color that way. Because you have to figure out, okay, well, where does, you know, it, whenever uh, the main character is involved, Allie, her eyes are red. They're just yes. completely bloodshot. So that's pretty easy. But everything else is like to set the tone, set the mood. You know, it's like, okay, when does, you know, the entire scene turn red? You know, all this other stuff. So um, there, there's almost an element of, uh, like, I would say film noir cinematography in there. You know, Matt has to figure out mm-hmm. where to put the red, you know, what to color. Because it's very important, you know. Um, and you don't, and you can't get. You have to vary it a little bit, but you can't get too creative because then you get into shades of pink, yes. and that just kind of that that wrecks the mood if you're not real careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, no, no pastels. Um, and so, yeah, it, like where to put that spot is always. And at first, I thought it was going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Oh, red, one color, and yeah. Allie's eyes. That'll be always be the focus. And no, and it's it's not always, not always. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's the entire room, you know, sometimes it's this other person and what do you do? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think Matt did a really good job on figuring that out and making the decisions on that. Thank you. Now, the thing is, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, um, this is, this was collected, um, the, um, the first five issues, right? Like a zero issue. Yes. One, two, four, right? That's correct. Collected in a hardcover. came out, well, I want to say, I think last year. I uh, No, I think it was 2019. Okay. 2019, I think. Yeah. Okay. And it also includes um, a new 16-page story. Is that correct? Yes. The uh, So the, the hardcover trade paperback, or a hardcover that mm-hmm. I – Hardcover trade paperback is a contradiction in terms. Yeah. The hardcover collection, volume one, uh, collects uh, the first, the introductory issue, number zero, and then uh-huh. one through four. So it's five issues. There is a 16 page backup that deals kind of with the aftermath of uh, the entire first story arc. Um, it's just a general little bonus. It introduces another character. Um, his name is, uh, he's another Lovetown detective. His name is Faulkner. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not, uh, he, he is a character that will be revisited, uh, mm-hmm. because he's kind of cool looking. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, generally speaking, it is um, just meant to like if if someone had collected like the the first five you know monthly issues, yeah. If they were getting the hardcover to give them something extra for their time and effort, you know, because yeah. um, we, we didn't want because we, 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 we've done that now with uh, Serving Soups mm-hmm. um, and Love Town. And do we do it with Inspector O? We, uh, we didn't do it with Inspector O, but uh, the trade paper, the, the, the trades, yes. any collection that we have, we try to put in extra material just because, you know, we want. Oh, yeah, Inspector did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Inspector, I think, had one that had uh, issues. Uh, had a one of the an, an introductory story. An in, yeah, it was the introductory oh. story. So it was like a, a, I think it was sold through conventions only, um, and then was put in the trade paper, uh, the 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 collected hardback. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to put something in to kind of reward completionists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone's like, "Oh man," you know, but I mean, because we feel bad because you know, a. Money, money is not easy to come by these days. And B, you know, when, when you get something, you, you want to get something for your value. And so that's why the hardcover is like, okay, we're going to put in these extra stories. We're going to put in like, you know, little behind the scenes stuff because whether you're, you're waiting for the trade, in which case your patience should be rewarded, or you bought all the issues and then you bought the trade, yeah. you know, your, your hard earned money should be rewarded. Um, we just feel like giving a little bit extra to to whoever buys that thing. That is pretty cool. Um, off the cuff question for Inspector O and Love Town: Will we see any future stories in the near future? Yes. Uh, so Inspector O right now is. Uh, Halfway through. It, halfway through volume two. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other things that a uh, couple uh, we, we, uh, year of the rat is almost done, which is a little bit behind. We should be getting to the year of the tiger. Yeah, we should be getting year of the tiger. Um, but it, it, it's, it's strange because we, we have uh, these year, uh, these year of the animals. So the like, first one we did year of the dog. Second one is year of the pig. Um, mm-hmm. They're little eight page stories. They're, 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 they're very short. They, mm-hmm. you know, focus on one of the Chinese Zodiac uh, animals. Mm-hmm. But man, it is, you know, people sit there and say, oh, four pages, five pages. That's easy. Uh-uh. Try telling a story in that short of p- period of time. And it is, it is murder. <laughs> like, so those actually ironically fell behind further than, you know, any of our longer form stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we do intend to have all the Zodiac animals before too long. Um, and then Love Town, uh, oddly enough, as we, not as we speak, mm-hmm. focusing entirely on this, but once we're over through with this, we will be going back to getting another special done. Um, this one will focus more on Ali's captain, uh, Hiram subs more. Uh, it is a, I believe a 24 page, uh, issue. Uh-huh. Um, that will then serve as a lead-in to the next story arc. Uh, so once again, it will be a standalone special that you can read yes. on its own, and it also serves as a lead-in to the next story arc, which will be, I think, another four, four to five issues. Uh-huh. Um, nice. But yeah, and that one, that one has already been. Uh, it's definitely been outlined, and I think. 
maybe the first couple of issues have already been scripted out. So, oh. yeah, um, the, the, the Love Town, it's been pretty, my, the writing process has been pretty awful uh, because 2020, uh, over the course of late 2019 mm-hmm. and all through 2020, uh, I outlined it probably about six or seven times. Mm-hmm. I have drawn, I want to say at least seven or eight pages that will not be used because uh-huh. the story changed so radically. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, earlier this year, or no, 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 late last year, late 2021, uh, finally settled on a story that I liked mm-hmm. because I had a general theme that I wanted to follow. It was like, eh, you know, cut this, cut that. Finally settled on it. It's like, okay, great, awesome. And so, um, getting getting to work on that, so that that we're really excited about it. People probably think that we're like terrible writers, but in between, uh, we had a couple of screenplays that we were taking care of. Um, currently dealing with that, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, like it it it's great. We're you know no complaints. It's just you know we have a lot of stuff that we have to do, and so it's like sometimes it's like hey, project A, okay. Mm-hmm. Project B falls behind. No, I'm going to pick up Project B. Okay, but then Project C crops up. You're like, oh, heck, you know, the, oh, heck, you know, Project A needs corrections. You know, it, it's, uh, there, there, there's two of us, but we probably have enough work for like four or five people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, listeners, um, I'm slowly wrapping things up, and there's one story I want the Ewan twins to tell you guys. And I'm gonna, Matt, I'm gonna um, ask you the question. How did you guys get a picture with legendary Frank Miller? We were, so this was a few years after Observe and Report. I think it was like Mm -hmm. 2010. Yeah, it was 2010. And we were still on Warner Brothers list for like, you know, super cool people to invite to, you know, parties and stuff like that. Um, their, their marketing department was uh, being very kind to us. And there was a party at San Diego Comic-Con mm-hmm. that we attended. And we're, we're, we're not great party people. We, we hide in the corner and then just sort of disappear. Mm-hmm. But we're hanging out and we see this guy walk in all in black, wearing all black. He's got this great fedora mm-hmm. and he's flanked by these two absolute monsters. And we're like, oh my God, that could only be one man. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it is the one and only Frank Miller. We're like, oh my God. Now, we we could have gotten, we could have like paid for a ticket, stood in line at a convention. Hey, meet Frank Miller for $75, get a picture. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to do that. It, it's, it's. I'm not saying that it's like any less of an experience, mm-hmm. but this was something that just, you know, not everyone can get can get in their lives. And so we're like, yes. oh crap, we've got to get a picture with them. But man, those gorillas were really they, they were they were huge, and they were they were watching the. You know, if if you ever see like some sort of predatory animal, like looking at a herd, uh-huh. and it's like I could chase you down and murder you, but I'm choosing not to right about this time. That's what these guys look like. 
Mm-hmm. And so we're like, shit, what do we do? And I was like, ah, fuck, you know, they're, 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 it's, you know, maybe we can sneak a picture. And Matt's like, no, 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 we got to get a picture. And, and I was like, how? Those guys are going to fucking murder us. Mm-hmm. And Matt's like, no, 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 no. You can be the first person to ask. Mm-hmm. You cannot be the second. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, fine, let's do it. And so we go up and we're like, excuse me, Mr. Miller, we are really great fans of your work. Mm-hmm. Would you mind? Would you mind it if we took a picture with you? Mm-hmm. And the minute that last word leaves Matt's mouth, mm-hmm. this guard, our lives flash before our eyes because the guard is just looming over us, about to like break us into matchsticks. <laughs> and it's awesome because Frank Miller doesn't say a word. Mm-hmm. He, does, he just he does this completely awesome Frank Miller thing, which is he sort of very casually, like you know shakes his head and like waves the guard off like a godfather yeah exactly it was like more like a total marlon brando Vito corleone move it's just like no 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 he's like yeah come on and so matt matt gets next to him i take a picture with our cruddy blackberry we had a blackberry at the time take a picture with him and we're like thank you so much and we're not gonna press it i'm not you know it's like you know matt good enough we get we get the fuck out of there Yes. And sure enough, right after we leave, after we are well out of arm's reach of these gorillas, another person is like, Mr. Miller, and the guard just immediately face palms the dude. It's like, Mr. Miller's not taking any pictures and <laughs> shoves him away. And we're like, oh, wow, that could have been us. We could have <laughs> been killed. Um, but then uh, back in, but then in 2021, yeah, 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 last year. Oh. Last year, um, Frank Miller was at Torpedo Con in L.A., uh-huh. and we we're like, you know what? This time we're gonna we're gonna buy the tickets. Yes. We're gonna get the you know the thing, and we got a book, and uh, we we got uh, electro the collected Electra Assassin hardcover, mm-hmm. beautiful book. Because Bill Sakevich was gonna be there, Frank Miller was gonna be there. We're like, hey, that that was a series of two great tastes taste great together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we got in line for Frank Miller and we got in line really early. So it was like, I, I don't think we waited, but what, maybe an hour and a half or so? Not, Not very long enough. <laughs> and we get in, we get him to sign it, and we're like, you don't remember us, but you saved our lives. And he's like, huh? And we're like, yeah. we had to show him that picture. We're like, and we told him the story and he just smiled. He's like, well, I'm glad I didn't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> And we we were I mean like it was but it was great you know um, he is uh, you know I, I we we have not interacted with him beyond that you know <laughs> but he seems like a very very awesome fellow um, so as we have said he didn't have us killed yeah yeah <laughs> so one of the one of the best memories uh, ever <laughs> so cool <laughs> I mean that is so awesome. <laughs> And, and, and you know, honestly, to uh, I would say to to your listeners as well, um, most celebrities, comics, movies, whatever, mm-hmm. most of them tend to be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now don't be asking for their phone number or anything, or say, yeah. hey, you know, can can you you know you know don't 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 impose. But most of them are very very happy to you know say sure you know. Um, I'll, I'll take a picture, whatever. And, and, and if they decline, mm-hmm. which we have never had that happen, we, we've, we've been very lucky, but if they decline, you know, remember that 
they may be having a rough day or they may be on a time, you know, they may, may be having under a time crunch. They may be going somewhere or doing something. So um, to, to all you fans out there, because we, Matt and I are fans ourselves, um, don't take it personally. If someone, if, if one of your heroes tells you no, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they may be busy. They may have other things going on. Uh, they may be having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know, but, but for, for, from personal experience, most of the people that we have met both in comics and in the movies, they're very happy to interact with their fans. So, so don't, don't be too afraid to say hello mm-hmm. at the, because the worst, the worst they can say is no. Right. Yeah. You know? And so, so if, if you want to get that selfie, feel free to ask, like mm-hmm. I said, the worst they can say is no. Mm-hmm. Sorry, man. I'm going to ask the off the cuff question. How, how was, how exciting was it to get a picture with Frank Miller? The excitement didn't hit till after mm-hmm. because I mean, no, seriously, those guards were gigantic and they were scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just so pumped on adrenaline of I'm not dead yet that I, it was taking all of my effort just to stay still so that the camera, the picture wouldn't be out of focus. Right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until after John and I were like running away that I was like, holy shit, we got a picture with Frank Miller. This is so amazing. <laughs> um, but at the time, it was just, it, it was, it was, it's a blur. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell you like yeah. uh, what I felt at the time. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think I was just too, too shocked that I wasn't flying through space off of a balcony. <laughs> it, but, but, but to be fair, to be fair, we are incredibly, uh, as our friends put it, we're incredibly easy to, to amuse and to excite. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's not denigrating or diminishing that experience with Frank Miller at all. But man, I get excited whenever we meet any of our childhood superheroes. And we, we have been blessed to meet a bunch of them. I mean, but like, you know, um, I think, uh, you know, we met Thomas Jane once. We Yes. fucking flipped out he, he's he's amazing you know um uh, bill sinkevich is yeah an amazing guy yeah. he is mm-hmm. so friendly and like ridiculously talented he should not exist he's yeah. like that much talent should not be in one man's hands um and uh god what was it uh oh, oh uh the other day Roz cast uh the new yorker cartoonist mm-hmm. uh she had a uh cartoon Mm-hmm. talking about how she hates this one soda that tastes like cherry cough syrup and that she hopes this isn't what she, she hopes this is not what space tastes like. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just put down a really quick little comment about how we visited China back in like 1994. We went on a tour of mm-hmm. Southern China from Hong Kong and the food was great, but the orange soda tasted like gasoline mm-hmm. and we still drank all of it. <laughs> You know, it's just, just a quick little comment. It's Instagram. You know, you don't you don't really expect a lot. But then, you know, she she posted a bunch of laughing emojis, and that just kind of made our day because it's like, holy shit, Rod's chest like acknowledging we exist. We we are still very much of that mindset that like, oh my god, we just met insert mm-hmm. person's name. You know, it's like we we got tons of those stories because every one of them is just kind of branded into our brains. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we still geek out on people just like on a, we, we don't care. We just, we, 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 we've been in enough films and, you know, films and TV shows. I think we've earned the right to geek out. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Two more questions. 
<laughs> wrap this up because I want to, because when you guys said about meeting people and stuff, because you guys went to WonderCon this past weekend, correct? That's correct. You guys took a picture with the two famous stoners in movie history, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for you kids out there who think that uh, Pineapple Express was the original stoner comedy, um, that is not the, that is not the case. Um, you, you get to go back to Cheech and Chong and Up and Smoke. They are the original stoner comp comedians. And meeting them was the fulfillment of a lifetime because we have, we've been actually fans of theirs since we've been like three or four years old. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The very first VHS tape that our family purchased was up in smoke second was alien so our when we told our mother that we were oh okay, okay. It's, so something about quick quick about our mother if we sit there and we say oh you know we're we're with in a movie with seth rogan or on affairs she doesn't yeah. know too many you know she, she's like oh that's nice that's cool it's great whatever yeah she, she's happy for us but yeah you know it's like does she really care me you know she, she's happy for us she's happy that are that we're meeting these new people but yeah. We mentioned that we're going to be meeting Cheech and Chong. And she's like, oh, my God. They are so great. Make sure to get a picture with them because they are so, they are so funny. And we're like, definitely. Mm -hmm. And it was great because um, at, we, our, our, uh, our friend, at, uh, Kevin, at Z2, uh, Z2 Comics is publishing a uh, Cheech and Chong graphic novel. It's coming out later on uh, April 20th. 420. Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Um, he was like, "You want to meet Cheech and Chong?" And we're like, "Are you are you fucking kidding us?" Yes, we do. And so he he got us uh, to more or less ahead of the line. But the thing is, is that it was really nice because they were discouraging taking photos because they're like they're just here to sign, and they were only going to be there for about forty five minutes signing yeah. uh, posters mm -hmm. because they had a panel to get to at six o'clock and mm -hmm. or six fifteen, and they're only going to be starting at five thirty. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but. You know, it's like, yay, we're, we're part of the group. And so we got a picture with them. And, you know, and they, they were great. Super gracious. Really um, nice. Um, but then I was like, you know, our, our mother was so excited mm -hmm. that we have to get something for her. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, we have the technology. There, I've got a camera in my hand. So I knelt down and I was like, you know, I, I, I would, you know, Mr. Chong, I would can I ask you a favor? He's like, yeah, sure, man. You know, what, what do you want? I was like, look, our mother's a fan of yours. She's the one who introduced us to your movies. Mm -hmm. Could you please just, you know, shoot a quick video telling her hello. And as soon as he hears that it's our mother, he instantly is just like, Oh yeah, of course, man. And you know, almost you expect someone of his stature to just be like, you know, you know, Hey, hello, my name's Tommy Chong, and you know your son said for me to say hello, and yeah. that's it, right? No, he 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 does this really long video for our mom saying hello, and you know he tells a few hey. jokes, and then like you know it, it goes on for a few minutes, and you're like, oh my god, that was so nice, you know? Yeah. Like he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to take the time, and he did because he is again such a gracious, mm -hmm. kind, and ridiculously talented individual mm -hmm. at Cheech Marin great guy super, super. Nice. I mean oh like yeah God. so so yeah both of them uh you know uh 
our, our we were yeah, one of our friends of course called up and they were like hey what was it like and we told them it was great and uh one of them was like yeah well they always say don't meet your heroes but sounds like it's a good thing you did because like oh yeah <laughs> these guys are awesome mm-hmm. so so yeah um, if you get a chance to meet those two they're really great people mm-hmm. yes. really really great guys sorry one more question before i mm-hmm. final question what was their reaction when you guys told them hey man we've been we've been fans since we were three and our first VHS our mom bought was your movie. What was their reaction? Hey, you know, I seem to remember they were really amused that it was our mom and dad that got us into their humor. Yeah. Um, because I think, because, well, well, Sheesh asked, he, he kind of like, you know, looked askance at us and was like, where are you guys from? Mm-hmm. And Matt was like, Texas. We grew up in Dallas. And he's yeah. like, ah, okay, yeah, I, I should have figured it out. The y'all, dead giveaway. Um, but they, they seem really amused and, like, kind of happy that it's like, you got really cool parents. They're <laughs> like, yeah, we do. <laughs> because I'm going to say, because if I remember, because I, I was, when I saw Up in Smoke, it was on HBO, and I'm going to, I can't, I don't, um, my memory's not that great, but because if I remember correctly, that kind of that movie was really looked down because it, you know, yeah, you know, I guess like promoted marijuana and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but it's a but it, um, but it was just a funny movie because that was part of because right they did they 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 that was their routine of stand up comics right correct yeah yes um well they were they were actually in a band first um. And apparently that was part of their banter. Yeah, that was part of like just sort of their shtick was yeah. to tell jokes between songs. But um, according to Tommy Chong, they they had this one set where they get up on stage and they just start doing their thing mm-hmm. and they never played a single song. And it was just their comedy routine. Mm-hmm. And even though they didn't play a single song, they still won the Battle of the Bands. Wow. So they were like, well, maybe this is what we need to be doing instead of the music. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. personally glad they didn't give up the music because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the world would be a much poorer place without earache, my eye. <laughs> um, all right. So, John and Matt, um, I'm going to ask the final, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the final que- the closing question. Um, I'm going to start off with you, John, and then um, and then Matt. Also, please add on anything to um, any closing words to our listeners. Uh, you know, any, in terms of closing words to, to you guys out there, everyone, you know, listening. Um, what it is, whatever it is you're doing, do to the best of your abilities. And if it's not what you want to be doing. Try to use what you are doing to further yourself towards that goal that you want to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, because Matt and I like to joke, but we're only half joking, which means we're half serious, that we are acting and writing and drawing comic books because we were too useless to do anything else. Um, and, you know, yeah, we, we are the two of the biggest Peter Pans out there, but you know what? We, we managed to make our, make, make our fandom and our, our, our geekhood kind of, you know, 
you know, work for us. And mm -hmm. so whatever it is you want to do, you can do it. It's just uh, you have to maybe sometimes have more patience than the next fellow. And, uh, you know, maybe, man, I got extraordinarily lucky. We, we readily acknowledge that. We have plenty of people that we owe a lot to. Yes. But, um, and, and, you know, you can make your own opportunities by, by simply doing what you're doing well. There's that um, old saying, I mean, our favorite, our favorite quote came from the Punisher when he said, do what you love and it'll never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. um, but the reverse of that is true. If you love what you are doing, if you put love into what you are doing, um, people will recognize that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if, if we had been sleepwalking through our reality TV work, then maybe Jody Hill thinks that we're just a bunch of drag asses, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Or, or if we had ducked work, like, you know, PAs are stereotypically supposed to do on set. Maybe David Latt doesn't give us that chance. He doesn't listen to us. Yeah, um, and so no matter what you're doing, it's worth doing well. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we, will, we will close with a, one of our anecdotes. This was when we were working at the movie theater in Austin, Texas. Uh, so we were working for Regal Cinemas, Arbor 7, and every, you know, like quarter or something, they have like a, comp, you know, they, they have a thing. You're supposed to push a certain type of candy and, you know, it'll be like Twizzlers or whatever. Okay. Doesn't matter. We'll say Twizzlers. And you're supposed to sell it as a part of a candy combo. Things may have changed. It's back in 2000. Uh -huh. But anyway, they're like, you know, can, you know, candy combos, you know, sell them, you know, push it, so forth and so on. And there, were, there was no real contest. You know, we, there was no incentive. for. Uh -huh. It's not like whoever sold the most candy combos would get, three hours put onto their paycheck or they get a you know new Lamborghini. There was nothing like that. Mm -hmm. It was just, let's see who can make the most and sell the most. And, and so Matt and I kind of turned it into a competition, turned it into a game uh -huh. where let's see who can sell the most. And, you know, because we've seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And so we were just like, put me on the board. I sold a candy combo, all that stuff. But the fact that Matt sold a candy combo, which a candy combo was two medium drinks, mm -hmm. a large popcorn, and you got the flavor of the month candy for free. Mm -hmm. The fact that Matt sold a candy combo to a single individual, not once, but on two different occasions to two different individuals, shows how putting your love into your work can really motivate you to really excel. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was legendary because even after we left the theater, like our friends who had stayed on for a few years longer were like, you know, um, he, he was manager and he had some staff complaining, it's too hard to sell this. He's like, too hard? Bullshit! I, had, I have a friend, his name is Matt. He sold two candy combos to two different individuals. Okay, so if you're sitting here saying it's too hard, you're full of shit. <laughs> so, you know, it's hilarious because he was, you know, channeling that Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross vibe. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I mean, but it, it, you know, we're not saying be abusive to anybody. Like that, oh, yeah. but, uh, but we are saying, enjoy your work, you know, try to do your best mm -hmm. because if you're, if a job well done becomes its own reward, then suddenly what you want to do will come that much easier to you. Um, there, there are so many people out there 
who sit there and say, oh my God, writing is so hard. It's torture every day I wake up and I hate everything I've written. And certainly, I mean, you know, you're talking to the guy who rewrote, re-outlined a story six times and is not using any of it. You know, I, we understand how hard it is and we're not downplaying that. But learn to put your love into what it is you do so that when you do what you love, you will love it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully we're not sounding too, you know, overly romantic about you know the creative process or anything like that but that's we we are lucky to be able to do what we do and so we hope that maybe giving you some advice on how we operate might help others to to achieve that same goal Mm -hmm. john and matt thank you very much for your time this was great it's great talking to you guys. It's great catching up with you guys. Thank you. No, is, thank you. So thank much. you so much for having us on your show. Oh, and to everyone, aloha. Yes, aloha. Thank you very much. Um, you know, um, and also, John and Matt, I just want to wish you guys continued success with um, First Comics and, in, and your continued success in show business as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and then, um, and I'm going to say, you know, if for our listeners, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out the Ewan Twins, um, you know, Love Town, you know, their series Love Town, Serving Soups, you know, and Inspector O from First Comics. Now, these trades and collections are available on firstpublishing.myshopify.com. And if you guys have, um, if you guys can't remember, just put, type in one and then um, first publishing and I'm sure the website will pop up from there. Um, I want to thank Drew, you know, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to actually, and the thing is, you know, I want to thank, again, John and Matt, thank you very much. Like I said, it's so cool talking. Our pleasure, really. It is really our our pleasure. pleasure. Thank you for having us, really. Thank you. And then finally, I want to thank you, the listener. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this awesome episode. It, you know, it, I, I just love talking to them. I really do. <laughs> so until next time, guys, aloha. 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 <laughs> Prepare yourself. For Dork Day Afternoon, a brand new actual play podcast. You performers. Oh, that's fun. The brainchild of two brothers, spawned from their desire to crush the fictional hopes and dreams of their friends and loved ones. You remember what I said about being a a monster of a GM? Someone has to be a monster, and the GM's the one who probably should be. Two shows every week. On Mondays, coming to you from the end of the world, two past midnight. The Twilight 2000 4th Edition campaign. As if being in prison wasn't stress enough. More is hell, gentlemen. And on Thursdays, the circus comes to town with Encore of the Lost, a playthrough of the Extinction Curse AP, written for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Failure to know! What is it, pumpkin? I'm looking at pumpkins! Roll for initiative. Natural 20 for a total of 24. 25. you. (laughs) (laughs) Dork Day Afternoon. Listen, your life might just depend on it.